I've been waiting 23 years to say that. And like I told you, this one might be weird because I slept maybe two or three hours last night and I just feel so weird today. I'm like, all right, let's even the notes I was taking earlier, like I'm looking at my notes going, oh, I just took weird notes. I just <laughs> kind of, oh God. Welcome to the FBI's Most Unwanted. I'm Matt. I'm Justin. And today we're going to talk about Season 1, Episode 16, Young at Heart, written by Chris Carter and Scott Coffer, directed by Michael Lang, and it originally aired February 11th, 1994. All right. And I immediately started laughing in this episode because it cold opened on a place called Tashmu Federal Correctional Facility, and I thought Tashmu was a hilarious word. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, Tashmu Correctional Facility, it's in Pennsylvania. The year is 1989, and it's in a hospital wing, and there's a uh, prisoner in a wheelchair, and even though they say this guy's name at some point in the episode i apparently wasn't paying good enough attention because i always just refer to him as wheelchair prisoner <laughs> he's uh, only in him for like five minutes so it's i don't think it matters i know that much. i know and uh he sees there's an empty bed and he hears some screaming and so he rolls down the hallway and he opens a door and there's a doctor there cutting off a prisoner's arm and apparently this prisoner that is having his hand cut off or arm cut off or whatever, his name is John Barnett. And the doctor's like, oh, no, he's definitely dead. And the wheelchair prisoner's like, no, but I heard him screaming. And the doctor's like, just go back to your fucking cell. He doesn't say fucking. It's Fox in yes. the 90s. He says, go back to your cell. And he threatens him with a scalpel and. So he goes back to his room, and we focus in on Barnett's face, the dude who's supposedly dead. And he's got, like, the dead milky eyes like a dead person would have, but he blinks. And that's when we go to the opening credits. But I think that's a uh, suitably kind of creepy opening, especially, like, this dude cutting off a dude's hand in the middle of the night in prison. I mean, who doesn't that happen to? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I feel yeah. like it's not a normal day unless I get my arm cut off in, like, the middle of the night. Yeah, I know. Uh, anywho, uh, after the opening credits, obviously, we're in Washington, D.C., where we most often end up after the opening credits. And it's not 1989 anymore. It's present day, and Mulder and Scully are going to investigate a jewelry robbery. And Scully's like, I don't really get what this has to do with us and Mulder's like didn't you know jewelry store robberies are a federal crime and Scully's like haha and he's like no honestly actually I don't know what we're doing here some dude that I used to work with in the violent crimes unit called me 
And uh, this is when we meet this dude that Mulder used to work with. His name's Reggie Purdue. Spoiler alert, don't get attached to him. <laughs> um, doesn't come back. Um, apparently, inside this jewelry store, like the gunman shot this sales girl. Even though she gave the dude the bag full of jewels. And so Reggie's like, oh, and here, here's this. This is going to blow your mind. And he hands him an evidence bag. And Mulder's like, wait, what is this? And uh, yada, yada, yada. Mulder had this other thing going on back in the day. Apparently, he knows who Barnett is. The guy that we met in the opening who, quote, unquote, died in prison. Um, yep. So Mulder tells Scully, he's like, well, back when I was this young dude right out of the academy, uh, there was, he, Barnett was my first case. He killed seven people, uh, had this theory that he had a partner inside the armored car company. And actually this is the part I like, cause we end up getting a little more of like Mulder's history here because it turns out Mulder had this idea to like catch Barnett by setting him up, but, uh, a, uh, another agent died, uh, because Mulder made, didn't have, uh, he made a horrible mistake and didn't just kill the guy. He went yep. for an arm shot. Yep. Uh, but we find out that the evidence bag is a note that says Fox can't guard the chicken coop. And it's getting its handwriting analysis, and we get a lot of yada yada about the way that the writing is, and it's smudgy in some places, and this and that. But basically, the point is, it ends up matching Barnett's old handwriting. And uh, this is, yeah, we, we see Scully watching uh, video of the night that Mulder made his big mistake, and yeah, he. He didn't shoot the guy. He didn't shoot Barnett because it was against FBI protocol because it put the hostage in danger. And that's what got the other agent killed, which is um, actually going to bring us up to the next part where I think we got like a really good moment here uh, between Mulder and Scully where she's like, oh, by the way, I, I saw that videotape. And I really think you did this. I really think you did the right thing. And uh, Mulder's delivery, he says, did I? Because Steve Wallenberg, that was the name of the FBI agent. He's like, Steve Wallenberg had a wife and two kids. One of his boys is an all-star football player now. If I had pulled that trigger earlier, Wallenberg be here to see his kid play. Instead, I got some dead man robbing jewelry stores and sending me haikus. And then he slams the door in Scully's face and... I actually really like that part. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it was a, yeah, it was a nice little touch to kind of. I know we've been talking about throughout the mm-hmm. uh, throughout the couple episodes, but now that we're really starting to get more and more like background on like the personalities of Mulder and Scully throughout this season. I know it's kind of been a slow build through most of it. Um, but now more and more as we kind of go through, we're seeing more of that come through. So you see the, the kind of like the remorse of letting, Mm -hmm. like saving a guy because it wasn't protocol what they were doing, but the cost of someone else's life. Yeah. Especially, uh, the next scene where it's like the kids playing football kind of like in the mud in the rain and Mulder's just sitting there watching this dead agent's kid practice football. Um, 
and that's a little weird (laughs) it is a little weird but at the same time it's like oh i get it like he's like the amount of uh guilt he feels at you know being responsible for this kid's dad not being around to see him play football is like so because he's even got the note with him too like it's it's super weird because he's sitting there with like this note and but at the same time like i get it yeah so i i thought it was kind of well it's like it's it's poignant but there's also a point where it's like 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 it was a little too much maybe sure yeah oh it, yeah it, it kind of like is hammering home the lat because it is the very next scene yeah. after he talks about wallenberg not being around to see his kid play football so uh anyway Mulder leaves the the football field and he kind of goes back to his car and he goes to unlock it but it's already unlocked and there's for a like the envelope. second time in this season, <laughs> you're right. I forgot because it happened back when uh, Phoebe Green uh, left the tape in his. Car. People like to leave things in Mulder's car. Apparently, they really do. And he just seems like he's suspicious, but that's about it. Like he doesn't do anything. <laughs> I know. And apparently, a lot of people are really good at either. He really forgets that he didn't lock his car or a lot of people are just good at breaking into cars because <laughs> uh, he gets a, a a note that is uh, another one just like the one that was at the robbery scene only this one says a hunted fox eventually dies and it's just a bunch of pictures yeah that prove somebody's been watching him and scully um, so he looks around and is like, I'll get you, you son of a bitch. And a lot of the parents, uh, understandably kind of like turn around and are like, who's this weird guy yelling at no one in the street. <laughs> that was a little bizarre. Just like that. I'm like, that, I'm like, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like he might be in the area. So threaten mm-hmm. him while he's there. But man, like, and it turns out he is in the area because we kind of focus in on this one kind of guy that's in a green coat and this furry hat and they play the ominous music to let you know that you got to pay attention to this guy and it turns which out is, which is hilarious because that was definitely foreshadowed when he mm-hmm. first walked by during the football day like when he went to like brush by him mm-hmm. and it's just yep. like it's like yeah he's right there yeah they kind of make it yeah, and they're kind of playing on the idea of, like, he really is just kind of watching Mulder wherever. But actually, the idea that Mulder doesn't realize it's him comes back uh, later in the episode. There's a reason he doesn't realize it's this guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they focus in on the dead milky eye that we saw. Um so then, uh, back at FBI headquarters, Mulder's showing Reggie these pictures, and Reggie's like, oh, come on, someone's really just, like, messing with you and, like, fooling around with you. And Mulder's like, oh, yeah, a, a, a dead woman is really messing around with me. This is Barnett. And Reggie's like, no, no, come on. Lots of folks know that Barnett said that he was going to get you. And Mulder says, no, it's definitely this guy. Like, I can feel it in my gut. And Reggie's like, oh, come on. I never bought any of that spooky Mulder stuff. You were, like, the best. And people had big plans for you. And then you kind of just turned into this paranoid guy. And 
So people know, you know, somebody is just definitely out to get you because you're an embarrassment. And Mulder's like, oh, so you think someone in the Bureau is setting me up? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of proving Reggie's point that he's paranoid. And Reggie's like, "Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Cover your ass. (laughs) Then Scully comes in and she's like, look, this is Barnett's last will and testament. And his, you know, the report of his death, like he left all of his stuff to blah 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 who is wheelchair guy we're gonna find out and he got cremated and the person that cremated like threw his ashes all over the place and you know he's definitely dead and so uh then for no reason at all they except to set up another part later they this boy god almighty this part could have really been cut out they cut in this scene of Mulder working with a digital artist who is aging Barnett. And boy, is this scene pointless. I'm, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I have a couple of things like about certain characters that I they're starting to come back a little bit more often. And it might be just me, mm-hmm. but some of these guys get way too into the role it's, it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into I think it. We'll get I, know to like, who I think I know who you're talking about. Well, there's we there's gonna... two in this one. No, wait. No, I'm thinking there's... in a different one. No, that, I, yeah. There's just one in this one. Yeah, there's one in this one. Well, there. Yeah. Yeah, I know who. I think I know who you're talking about because we will talk about that guy. But anyway, uh, whole flashback scene of Mulder testifying at the trial with him having a breakdown on the stand and being like, you should die like an animal, you son of a bitch and all that stuff. And another scene that I'm like, ah, I kind of get why they put it in there, but I almost feel like they could have left it out because they sort of just, basically it's Mulder reiterating all the stuff we saw in the video, except for the part where he shouts in and that's why you should die like an animal. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Uh, Just almost felt like a filler scene, but anyway, Scully comes in and is like, yeah, I called the prison on a hunch, which I don't quite get where she gets her hunch because she's like, uh, she, Apparently, according to Barnett's death certificate, he died of a heart attack. But for some reason, Scully is like, I bet he didn't die of a... I guess she believes Mulder that he's somehow alive because she called the prison to get all of his records and found out that he did have an infection in his right hand, but no heart problems and his physical was six months before he died and he was given a clean bill of health. So they go to the prison and meet wheelchair guy and have one of their classic hallway talks of which there are two in this episode. (laughs) Um, Wheelchair guy is like, Oh, he, yeah, he died of a heart attack. Where'd you hear that? And they're like, it's on his death certificate. And he's like, Oh, he's not dead. And I saw him right there in that room having his hand cut off in the middle of the night and Dr. Ridley told me he was dead and apparently Dr. Ridley's the guy that signed his death certificate, I guess. And then 
boy, this episode felt so long to me because there's so many of these scenes. I'm not going like, to lie. I fell asleep around this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not like a terrible episode, but as I was watching it, I'm like, it seems long because this yeah. is the part now... Like, in his office, Mulder gets a call, and he knows it's Barnett, and they kind of, like, have, like, a talk with each other that's not really about anything, except Barnett, you know, Mulder being like, prove it's you, and Barnett's like, nope, I'm not going to prove it's me, and he's like, prove it's you, and he's like, fine, I will, and then Mulder proves it's really Barnett by playing back a recording of their call, and the guy has a New Hampshire accent. I, I don't know. It's the bizarre. Scene was weird. And then Reggie calls Mulder to tell him all this. And uh, long story short, Reggie gets strangled to death. And so uh, now Mulder is really upset about that. He's like, you know, still blaming himself because at the crime scene, he's like, if I had just pulled that trigger sooner, things would have been different. And Scully's like, oh, come on. It's not that it's not really him. Like, we don't know that. And Mulder points at another note that got left. This is funeral for Fox's friend, then for Fox. And then uh, he goes back to this handwriting analysis who does a bunch of mumbo jumbo because handwriting analysis is not a real thing that works in the real world down to an exact science. But basically she says, yep, same person, except, uh, the weird thing is you never found any fingerprints on these notes. Wouldn't this person leave fingerprints on the note and it wouldn't smudge if they were wearing it. I didn't understand anything. <laughs> basically it's like, because of the way the stroke of the certain impressions of it it's it's bizarre it is like i i watch a lot of shows where like mm-hmm. where like people go to uh like shops and stuff with quote unquote authentic signed um mm-hmm. like memorabilia yeah and stuff like that and even i don't and they're always like well if you see how they were like brush their teas or like the special mm-hmm. indent, indent. And I'm still not 100% sure because even my own signature is different almost every single time I do it. Yeah, same. That's why, like, in, in my handwriting, like, even not even just signature, like, my letters in regular writing sentences don't always look the same. So, anyway, the point is there's something weird that there's no fingerprints, but it's smudgy and something i don't know scully the the important part is in the next part where scully's like all right so i did some research on this dr ridley guy who signed the death certificate and apparently he hasn't been a real doctor since 1979 because he was he had his medical license revoked for flagrant research malpractice and misuse of a government grant for Specifically uh, for specifically uh, testing on children that suffered from I forget the name uh, progeria. It's, progeria, uh, yeah, it's that disease as we find out because they go to the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, and I think this is where the character you're talking about comes in. 
Are you talking talking about the doctor they talked to? Because I feel like we've seen him before. Okay, so yeah, there are two characters in this then. Yeah, because that doctor is a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because well, basically he shows them video of a little girl with progeria, which if you don't know, it's the disease that makes very young children turn uh, rapidly aged. So they basically die of old age. They get like diseases that old people get. Um, it, very sad, but also very rare, uh, which is kind of the point here because I guess it turns out that this Dr. Ridley guy in 1974, and we see him in this footage, uh, he was experimenting on these people because basically he thought he could reverse aging. So he didn't really want to cure the kids. He just wanted to stop aging which is why he got his medical license revoked because all of his ideas were basically um unprovable in the lab but he thought if he could experiment experiment on humans he could prove it so everybody called him like dr mengala and dr frankenstein so uh yeah that happens there so yeah. then we get, oh boy, another, this is even what I wrote. Oh boy, another classic Mulder and Scully talking in hallway while leaving somewhere they just got vital information seen. <laughs> because once again, they're walking down a hallway with Mulder going, and I know I love this show, but I got to pick on these things when I see them. Because it seems like every episode, they're walking down a hallway after somebody told them something and Mulder's like, don't you see, like, it's this crazy ridiculous thing and it's Scully's reiterated like, what just <laughs> happened <laughs> yeah basically he's like they, he figured it out don't you see like he experimented on the progeria kids and figured out how to reverse aging so we know now we're not actually looking for mid 40s barnett now he's probably gonna look like he's in his like 20s or 30s barnett and scully's like no that's ridiculous that's impossible <laughs> it's like yeah, it's the exact same conversation they had um, a couple episodes ago with, uh, yeah. I forget, I can't remember the exact thing, but it's the same thing where they walk out and it's like, Mulder's like, I knew it! <laughs> yeah, that was the one, uh, I know which one you're talking about because we talked about it too. Um, it's when they were like leaving the courthouse or whatever. Yeah, and they're like going to the car. <laughs> yep. Uh, it. It's the first season. They're still obviously hammering out like what they want this show to be. Uh, so first season, they got like a first seasonitis going on about halfway through um, with stuff like this. But uh, now we get a scene of again, I so pointless. They're like. Okay, now instead of making him look older, how about we make him look younger? And so they do some computer stuff to make him look younger, which I don't know why, because when they make him look younger on the computer, it doesn't look anything like the young actor they got. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's so weird. Uh, the Scully typing her notes, which is something that kind of she did in those first couple episodes and then they abandoned but and then they seemed to then they abandoned it, back. it yeah but then they just put it in this episode for convenience sake i guess um because while she's sitting there doing her notes she hears noises in her apartment and 
gets her gun and goes searching through her apartment. And I wrote searching, searching her home, tension, tension, tension. Uh, I got to say, the, the, the explanation in a little bit for this, I'm very confused about. No, this is the no. I'm thinking of the the bit that happens secondary. I think no, no. It's a it's about to happen. I know yeah. what you're talking about, and it is a little confusing. And I actually watched this scene like three times to try to get it in my notes to talk about it. And I still basically ended up writing. Uh, well, I'll tell you exactly what I wrote when I got there because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, basically, the point is uh, uh, there is somebody in her house, but someone also knocks on her door. Which, uh, by the way, within this first season, they also couldn't decide if Scully lived in an apartment or a house. Because- that was well, that, that this is where I started really getting confused because yeah, like she starts at like a, like it's a completely different place from the last two places. Well, but it's yeah, supposed to be her if home. Remember, in Tombs, she lived in that one apartment. Yeah, in, in the one yeah in in Squeeze, she lived in that one apartment where she got attacked. Then in Beyond the Sea, when her parents come to visit her, she lives clearly in a house. <laughs> yeah. And, and now this is kind of like a weird mix of the two. They could, Yeah, they could not decide if she lived in a house or an apartment. Because she, when she opens the door, she clearly lives in an apartment. There's a hallway out there. Yeah. Oh, it's... Yeah. Uh, and anyway, the guy at the door is Dr. Ridley, who looks exactly the same as he did from the footage of him in 1974. Um, and so this is the scene you were talking about. It's Mulder and Scully in the living room talking to Ridley, who's like, uh, I've been in Mexico and Belize, like hiding out, still doing my research. And Mulder's like, well, then what about Barnett? What about him? What'd you do to him? And Ridley's like, ah, he's my only patient who survived. And even I'm going to die. Like, I know I look young, but I've got this disease that kills kids with progeria because that's a side effect. And this is the part I know you were confused about because I was confused about it too. Like, I'm like, oh, I know this doesn't make any sense because... Uh, he found out about Ridley found out about the side effect then tried to do something different with Barnett because uh, Ridley's experiments showed something 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 about the production of myelin which is something about neurons (laughs) in the body isn't actually present in young people. So if he did this reverse aging process on Barnett, he could regulate the production of the myelin, which stops humans from regenerating a new hand if it was cut off. I'm like, okay, sure. And then Mulder's like, wait, so so once you stopped him from making this myelin stuff, he could just grow his hand back? And Ridley's like... No, because human cells don't do that, so I did it with salamander cells. It's, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, he says something about they found out, like, if they took the cells, because obviously certain lizards can grow back parts of their body, and they found out they can grow, like, if they take the cells from the cutoff arm and put them on the they'll grow on the back and that's how he knew he could grow like a salamander hand on a human 
spot. I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense at all. It's like they read some comics where, mm-hmm. like, people were infused with animal DNA and were like, we can make that. Pretty much. And then it gets even worse because cause this episode really falls apart near the end here. Because then yeah, on, top of all, on top of all that, Ridley's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, Barnett stole all my research. Uh, and now, er, oh no, he says, sorry, we find that out in a minute. Barnett says, uh, after he was kicked out of the American Medical Association, the U.S. government liked his research and started secretly giving him money. And then Mulder goes to meet Deep Throat for some, is this the character you were talking about before, Deep Throat? No. Oh, because he goes to meet Deep Throat and Deep Throat's like, oh yeah, yep, definitely the government gave him money. Uh, and not only did they give him money, they knew that Barnett came back to the country and that he stole all of Ridley's research and the government wants to make a deal with him to get that research. And it's Mulder's so like, fucking ridiculous. I'm like, uh, and Mulder's like, uh, you know, that dude like killed an FBI agent, right? <laughs> and <laughs> Deep Throat's basically like, yeah, but the research is more important. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically what he tells him. She's like, okay, whose side are you on here, Deep Throat? And then at Scully's place, her phone is ring. Oh, Did this yeah, scene- This one. This is it. I felt a hundred years old watching this, by the yeah. way. Because <laughs> her answering machine picks up her phone. And an answering machine, children, used to connect to your landline. And a landline, children, is a phone that was, like, mounted to... It was like a cell phone that was mounted to the wall in your house. And you couldn't take it places. Sometimes, sometimes those wall-mounted phones were wireless. But for a while, they were not. So you could only go a couple feet. Uh Uh-huh. You were lucky if you had the extra long cord on your phone and you could walk around the corner from where the phone was. And you were even luckier if you had, like, two of those in your house so you could have your own private line, but then your parents could pick up the other end and know what what to listen in on you. And then this is a plot device that just cannot exist anymore because as she runs out of the bathroom where she was taking her shower to pick up her phone to answer it, somebody dials into her answering machine (laughs) to listen to her messages. I'm like, this is the other part where it's like, we're like, it's obvious that what the Bernard is there. Mm-hmm. Like someone, no, he was like, calling her house to dial into her. But then, but the but the thing was, but then like the next scene is she brings her answering machine to Mulder, and they right. look at it, and they're like, "There's an imprint on the bottom of her uh, of her answering machine that is Bernard's." So he yeah. was calling from inside, like he had to have been sit standing in front of the answering machine. Well, no, didn't he pick it? I took it as, like, the night before he picked it up. I thought maybe, like, her access code was on the bottom and he picked I it up. I have no the idea. They did not explain this well. No, I was like, this makes no sense. But then he calls, for whatever reason, he calls Mulder again and is like, oh, now all your friends are going to die. And it's, 
basically toying with him and the whole point of him calling is so that he can hang up and go scully what did he learn from listening to your messages (laughs) (laughs) scully's like uh that i'm meeting a a friend who has a cello recital so they go to the cello recital and uh, to set up a trap and scully's this whole sequence drove me nuts yeah, Scully's friend is there before the the auditorium opens, and she's tuning her cello, and there's a piano there, and there's a man in the piano, and we see his all gross uh, lizardy hand, and that's how we know it's Barnett. Um, so then Mulder and Scully go out into the lobby, and there's a whole bunch of people around. And they look for Barnett, but he's on the stage and he reaches in his piano tuner kit and sticks a gun down the front of his pants where you never want to stick a gun because what if it goes off and blows your balls off? And so he leaves and goes out in the lobby and shoots Scully who falls down and Mulder chases Barnett who goes right back into the theater and grabs the – instead of like running away because he's – wants to mock Mulder and so and this and this is the other point where this like I the guy they got to play Bernard mm-hmm. was a l- way over the top even for a <laughs> yeah, crazy person I was just like where do they find these people <laughs> he's like up there with their arson specialists because uh, he's like, uh, 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 come on, you, you shoot me. Come on. What? It's not by the book that you can shoot me? Oh, no, you can't shoot me. You need me alive <laughs> so I can tell everyone where the precious research is. And so Mulder shoots him. Which, And then Scully, turns out, of course, was wearing a bulletproof vest. And then the very next scene is a bunch of doctors looking to save Barnett. And look who's there. Look who's right there. <laughs> The fucking smoking man. <clears throat> Although nobody know, I know it's important because I've seen it all before. But at this point, he's obviously not like the big villain he's going to become in the series. In fact, Mulder even just says, oh, that guy in the ugly suit is probably from the CIA. But he's the fucking smoking man. Well, see, I just thought it was some dumbass because, like, the way he was like gesturing to like add, to make it look like he was talking to Bernard mm-hmm. was like his. He had like yeah. he had cupped his hands in the middle of the air for no reason. Yeah. Well, at first I thought he was holding a cigarette because the smoking man is normally holding a cigarette, but uh, I was like, they're letting him smoke in there. Yeah. But- the- <laughs> Um, he, I guess he, he just had his hands in, cause that is how he, weirdly enough, he doesn't hold his, the smoking man, you'll see later on, he doesn't like hold his cigarette between two fingers like most smoking people. He like uses his whole hand. It's kind of weird. So. Oh, he's one of those smokers. Yep. Oh God, the sirens, the zombies are coming, buddy. I hear sirens on your end. Yeah. I mean. Ah. <sighs> We'll talk about that on Two Bro Geeks and stuff. Yep, the zombies are coming, uh, and then they do a a, a, a a zoom in and focus on Barnett's gross four fingered lizard hand, and then he dies. And then Mulder's like, "Well, he took the research to his grave, and 
I feel like maybe this whole, I really can't remember exact specific details, but this whole ending scene may be pointless because it's a whole thing where Scully's like, well, where do you think the research is? And Mulder's like, we get a Mulder voiceover of, you know, there's a bunch of people in the train station, but it's basically Mulder saying, oh, I don't know, it could be anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And we see all these people who look like maybe they could have the research because they've got briefcases and there's that one big dude like reading the newspaper who I wasn't too sure what was going on here. I don't either. It doesn't make a whole bunch of sense because finally it ends on a storage locker numbered 935 and Mulder says, somehow I feel like we haven't heard the last from John Barnett. And that's where the episode ends. And I can't say for certain that that comes back to mean anything uh we'll find out as we go through the episode and here let me look on the uh i got the uh wikipedia the episode ends with a close-up of a locker in a train station implying the secrets along with a bomb planted by barn oh yeah because there was Wait, a ticking what? Because there was a I ticking. missed that. Yeah. Uh, there was a ticking noise, but I think it's implying that he's going to blow it up. I don't know. I, like I said, I think this episode really fell apart. <laughs> it really did. Um, my overall thoughts of this was I thought the episode was fine for the most part. Mm-hmm. But then, like, halfway through, it started losing interest and speed. And, like, they focused too yeah. much on the, the on the setup for the payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with that kind of stuff, I kind of give this, like, a C plus, B minus kind of grade. Yep. I was also thinking I'm going to fall in the C plus range as well. Because it does start off somewhat interesting and then just unravels yeah uh, as it goes on which is unfortunate um i know a lot of folks will disagree with me who are fans of the x-files but i credit that partly to chris carter uh who even though he created the show on an episode to episode basis carter tends to have a lot of big ideas and we'll see this more and more as the series goes on carter has a lot of big ideas that he has trouble focusing into a coherent script uh, a lot of the time so yeah c plus the next episode however is a big one because it introduces some characters who are major uh well it's weird to say major side characters, but they come back. They're not quite regular characters, but they come back often enough that they're not. So major secondary characters. I'll put it that way. It introduces Is this the, the lone gunman. Yes. Oh, it's the right. lone gunman. Oh, they show. And I think you're going to love the lone gunman. I love, I him. will say it. I'm going to say it right now. And I know I've talked about on this, sh- on our other show, my only like, my only interactions of the Lone Gunman is not even through this, but was through a crossover IDW comic series where the Lone Gunman had to go and, like, teamed up with the Transformers. 
the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Ghostbusters, and the Crow. I've got to read that. <laughs> I got. I'm gonna find it. Hang on. I'm gonna look for it right now beforehand, so I can tell you exactly what it. Well, I bet I can click on the Lone Gunman's Wikipedia page and find out. Like, I I have all... Let's see, Lone... Because they even uh, got their own short-lived spin-off... Okay, here we are. Uh, IDW comic appearances. Here we go. Oh, that's in the uh, Lone Gunman... That's in the X-Files comic, not in the uh, Lone Gunman, their own comic. Uh, Let's see. I got it. Oh, you got because I was gonna say it's not actually listed on there. Huh? Okay, tell well, me. Well, I, I found the I found the thing. It's called X the X Files Conspiracy. Hmm. Then that's literally what it is. It's just the oh, here the it is, low... right here. The X Files Conspiracy miniseries. I see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's part of um, the IDW. Before there was an actual. X-Files season 10 and 11, there were X-Files comics season 10 and 11. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, that was my first interaction with the Lone Gunman was because I saw they were doing a crossover with all these properties and I was like, that I want to read. <laughs> yeah. I like them. They're so weird and they're entertaining and um, one of them, well, we'll talk about it next week, but one of them weirdly enough wasn't even really an actor he's kind of a guy they just pulled to put in the part because they just needed someone right then and we're like we'll use this guy (laughs) yeah yeah and he ended up being really good so everybody your your episode your homework for next week is the episode titled e b E, which stands for extraterrestrial biological entity, but we'll talk about that more next week. So that is it for now. Goodbye, everybody. Later. The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth, Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks.